Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. Today, we are discussing transit costs and why it is so much more expensive to build major transit infrastructure in New York than most other places in the world. This topic is, of course, relevant to the first phase of the Second Avenue subway, which was completed several years ago after many delays and cost overruns, and the second phase, which is moving ahead, as well as other major projects either completed, in process, in planning, or that we don't even know about yet still to come in the future. That list includes things like the seven train extension to Hudson Yards, East Side Access, which just opened as Grand Central Madison after its own major delays and overruns, the redevelopment of Penn Station, new Metro North stations planned for the Bronx, the Interborough Express that Governor Hochul and the MTA plan to bring to Brooklyn and Queens, and more. Simply put, and maybe this is a slight oversimplification, but the more expensive and delayed these projects are, the fewer of them get built. And the longer it takes to expand New York's mass transit offerings, the more stunted New York's growth is. The more challenging it can be for people to get to their jobs, schools, and home, and so on. My guest today is an author of the Transit Costs Project that just issued its final report after several years of work comparing costs of rapid transit projects in places around the world, and that included the new release of its New York case study. Eric Goldwyn is a program director at the Marin Institute of Urban Management and an assistant professor in the Transportation and Land Use Program at the NYU Marin Institute. He has a PhD in urban planning from Columbia University and teaches courses on urban planning and urban studies and is a frequent writer and commentator on these topics. The Transit Cost Project set out to discover why transit infrastructure projects in New York cost so much more than in most other places in the world and what can be done about it so that New York can have more of them and improve the city and state. The people working on this project, include Eric Golan, have looked at hundreds of transit projects from around the world, created a database that spans more than 50 countries and 11,000 kilometers of urban rail built since the late 1990s, and carried out in-depth case studies that take a closer look at many specifics on projects in places like Boston, Italy, Sweden, Istanbul, and New York. The goal of the project, they write, is to figure out how to deliver more high-capacity transit projects for a fraction of the cost in the United States, and to expand everyone's understanding of transit infrastructure planning, construction, financing, and so forth. This project has been completed by a group of researchers under the umbrella of the NYU Marin Institute of Urban Management, with contributors spread across the globe. My conversation with Eric Goldwyn of Transit Costs in just a moment. First, very briefly, if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, you can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. I've had some great recent conversations with a wide variety of guests, including most recently Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine on his big new housing plan and a variety of other issues facing Manhattan. I also 
analyzed Mayor Eric Adams's 2023 State of the City address and agenda with Errol Lewis of Spectrum News New York One. And I won't go into all the details of the other excellent conversations and guests we've recently had, but you can find them all again at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette site. Had a wide range of guests, elected officials, advocates, other experts, and so on. And of course, at the Gotham Gazette website, GothamGazette.com, you can find all of our reporting on New York State and city politics and government as well. All right. Eric Goldwyn of the Transit Cost Project and the NYU Marin Institute. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, So this this topic is something that um, keeps coming up, but I don't know that we're seeing uh, evidence that there's a lot of progress on. You'll give that assessment in, in a minute here. The MTA uh, seems to think they've, they are making some progress or they've made some progress. We'll get into that in a minute, but, um, say a little bit more than I said about sort of the overall project here and what you set out to do and the sort of course of, of what you've done. Sure. So, I mean, I think you set it up very nicely. Um, so I'm a New Yorker and, uh, my colleague, Alan Levy, who I started this project with, um, is also nominally a New Yorker as well. And we both independently noticed that the cost of projects in New York were were very expensive. Alan has been chronicling this for more than a decade now. And um, that led Alan to sort of explore and, you know, collect a small database um, of projects in Paris and London and Japan and a couple other places. Um, And then we discussed sort of broadening this and actually collecting sort of a comprehensive database to sort of just, you know, empirically show what, how much does it cost around the world? What are the average global prices for, or costs, I should say, um, for building uh, a subway? We can, we can say now that we're just, just talking. Um, and, you know, that's what we did. And so we, we have this database, as you noted of, you know, I think 900 projects, uh, 58 countries, 184 cities, and sure enough, when you look at sort of the average cost in our database, and there are a lot of problems, I just want to be clear about just taking a headline cost like this. Um, you know, the average cost per kilometer was around $210 uh, million, which is probably $360 million a mile or so, give or take. Um, and New York is, yes, is way ahead of that. Now, there are variations. Is it in a tunnel? Is it elevated? That kind of thing. And in New York, we do the most expensive version of everything and not for bad reasons. It's in tunnels. Tunnels are expensive. It's a busy city. You want to be in tunnels. Um, but even when we looked at other projects that are in tunnels, we noticed that you know New York still was obviously at the, at the high end. Um, and so what we wanted to do is because our database doesn't tell you why anything happens, right? So this might be a little esoteric, but when you do sort of quantitative research, um, it's very good at sort of enumerating and showing you averages and descriptive statistics. But if you want to understand why something happened, you have to ask some questions and you have to sort of take your data and sort of, you know, show it to the people who know stuff and say, well, why did it cost this? And why does it cost this here? But, you know, that there. 
And so that's what we did. And so we conducted, you know, I think for the New York case study, like 80 interviews um, and, you know, group conversations with, with, with people who had either worked on the project or, you know, were elected officials or advocates, that kind of thing, who knew about the project uh, in New York, Second Avenue Subway, I should say. And um, that, that was sort of the jumping off point. And there, again, the reason why we wanted to get into this, as you, as you stated, is we want to see just a lot more transit constructed, right? You know, um, anyone who has been in New York for a while knows that the only subway expansion in the last, you know, 20 years has been the seven extension and uh, phase one of the Second Avenue subway. And even going farther back, you have some small extensions, you know, the Archer Avenue. And then prior to that, not really since 1940. Um, but our city population has grown and population has redistributed and, you know, since 1980, the population has grown by almost 2 million. Uh, the number of jobs has also sort of skyrocketed. And you've seen population growth pop up in parts of Brooklyn and Queens where, you know, it just, that's not where things were happening uh, in the in the 50s and 60s, at least. So, you know, when you mentioned a project like IBX, like that's a really fascinating, interesting project. And we would love to see that get built. And in a place where you can build a transit project you know, for global average costs, it wouldn't be a debate or a generational project where it's like, can we assemble the five and a half, six billion dollars we need to do this? And I think that's the issue, right? You can't really scale when you're spending, you know, for Second Avenue Subway over, you know, a billion, two billion dollars a mile. For uh, IBX, it's different. It's in a trench. It's not in tunnel, so it is cheaper. Um, but even so, the 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 total cost we're talking about is still sort of a whopper in a lot of ways. And, you know, phase two of the Second Avenue subway, um, the projected cost right now, and this is not at all sort of official, you know, is like in that six to $7 billion range. And again, it's a small extension, right? We're going to 125th street from 96th street. Um, so a little more than a mile. And, you know, what is so, uh, Frustrating is, is too strong. No, no, frustrating is just the right word. Uh, you look at a city like Paris that's undergoing the Grand Paris Express, and it has problems, don't get me wrong, um, but it is expanding. It's doing like six lines, you know, extending things, hitting the inner suburbs. It'd be like if we were connecting Long Island and Westchester better with the city of New York, um, sort of like east side access, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, it's on a cost provider you know, it's, it's relatively low. It's like uh, $26,000 per rider. It, it's, if we could build all of our projects to that, that rate, you know, we would be able to do a lot more and, uh, you know, just make many more advances on our, our transit infrastructure. And, you know, obviously New York has the most transit riders in the city and I mean, in the country. So we're, we already have sort of a rich, you know, a big advantage, but we can still do better. And, uh, you know, we should. So let's let's dig into a little bit more of what you found in this case study of sure. phase one of the Second Avenue subway. So just reading uh, from the case study uh, that you published here, according to our database of more than 900 rapid rail transit projects from nearly 60 countries, phase one of the Second Avenue subway is the most expensive subway built in the world on a per kilometer basis. It's about 10 times more expensive than the Italian and Swedish subways discussed in other case in your other case studies and more than 10 times as expensive as the Turkish subways you examined. So um, 
you got into the fact that, you know, there are some things about New York that maybe, you know, uh, make it a little bit harder, a little more expensive, but these are, these are immense magnitudes of more yes. expensive. Right. <laughs> so say, and, say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You know, and, and to be clear, we also do control for, you know, currency differences and cost of living differences. Mm-hmm. We do a, what's known as a, a, a purchasing parity um, trans, transformation for all of our costs. So everything is in dollars. And I think our latest update to our database is either 2021 or, $20, I don't remember now. Um, but yeah, so uh, exactly what, what you're saying is it's not that it's a little bit more expensive, right? You know, America is, you know, is, is a rich country. New York is a rich city in that rich country. Are costs going to be more expensive? Yes, of course. Absolutely, they're going to be. Um, and I think a lot of a lot has been made about our labor costs being, you know, very high. And that that explains all, all the stuff. And we found absolutely we do have among the highest labor costs in the world, and it absolutely does contribute to our higher costs. But we also found that you know we have some overstaffing, we have very low productivity. Um, like we intentionally chose to study Stockholm because they also have very high labor costs, but they have very low um, you know subway construction costs. And we use Rapid Rail, by the way, just because people use Metro and Subway. But since I'm talking on a podcast in New York, I'm just going to say Subway and yes. assume you know what I'm talking about. Right. There, um, are di- there are differences in other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. But we, we, we say Subways. Um, I, I'm, I'm a New York chauvinist for sure. Um, so you know that that that's that's why we looked at the stockholm example for instance um but then what we also found is that um there's a lot of intergovernmental um and i should say intragovernmental if you think about just the mta as an entity um and the utilities you know they extract a lot from these mega project budgets right and the mta for those that don't know, it, it is comprised of multiple operating agencies. And at the time of the construction of Second Avenue Subway, MTA Capital Construction was that entity. And so that's not the entity that operates the subways and buses, right? New York City Transit, MTA Bus, they do, they do those things. Um, Long Island Railroad does the, the trains in Long Island, Metro North, uh, Bridges and Tunnels is another one. And so MTA Capital Construction had, you know, was running point on this, but they had to get sign off from New York City Transit on stuff. So, right, if New York City Transit didn't like what they had come up with, they would be like, we're not signing off on that. Go back and, and redo the design. And the same thing is true with the city of New York, right? In order to cut open a street and build a subway, you need to get the DOT to give you a permit to shut down that street. You need to get New York City DEP to give you a permit to shut down a water main. You need to get Con Ed to power down its electric lines. Um, who else do you need? You need Parks Department to to give you a you know a park or part of a playground in the case of Second Avenue Subway to you know stage construction. Um, all of these things are, are necessary, and in order to get the approval for those things, they all want something, right? So on the one hand, you could sort of uh, you know be generous and say, well, yes, you should just do a one for one replacement of everything you destroy. And that seems fair. No one, I think, would argue with that. But what you end up seeing is that you these agencies will sign an agreement with the MTA, and then, and we document in the case study an example with with DEP. Um, they sign an agreement. The contract gets tendered. The, the construction begins. And then DEP says, "You know what? We don't want you to replace the pipes. You know, so they're cast iron pipes in the in the ground from you know whatever 100 years ago, and we want you to replace them with with iron pipes. So like, we want you to replace them with bigger steel pipes, which are more expensive and require just a lot more you know finagling um, to to get 
to get done. And so that adds like a six month delay. And the thing about time here is that I think everyone will understand, right? Inflation is you know part of these things. And so the longer something takes, you're gonna take that cost with you, just normal escalation. But contractors in their contracts, if they're delayed, they have impact costs that they can charge to the MTA if the, if the MTA is causing them problems, right? And so um, it could be $10,000 a day, it could be $50,000 a day, it could be $100,000 a day. It depends on, you know, what is being impacted. Um, and, you know, so once that starts happening and you have to do redesign work, so your consultants are busy redoing the work, you're just burning a lot of money trying to sort of you know, keep up and, you know, that, you, you know, you're blowing your schedule, you know, it's just like everything is going wrong. And I think one of the things that I really hoped um, and hope comes out of this is that transit agencies and the MTA, you know, I'm extremely sympathetic towards them. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff, a lot of obstacles that are thrown in their way and no one is really helping them out. Like we need a mayor, for instance, to tell DEP, DOT, parks, you know, stop monkeying around. Let's get this thing done. All the benefits of Second Avenue subway accrue to the city of New York. It's not like the MTA is all of a sudden making more money um, by providing the service, but you're, you can bet that the real estate, and some people have quantified this. Uh, a colleague of mine at NYU did a paper, a very nice paper saying that, you know, phase one created, you know, $5 billion, I think, of, of benefits. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you need government leaders who are sort of clearing the path for these types of construction, um, this type of construction, I should say. And going beyond New York, you know, um, a subway project most likely is going to be like the most expensive infrastructure project that a city sort of takes on. Um, I've been working in, on some stuff in Seattle with their transit agency. And I don't actually know if this is true or not, but they're building a line. It's a light rail, but it's a subway. Um, and it's, it has a 12 to $15 billion price tag on it. It's gotta be the biggest project that Seattle has taken on by like a factor of three, you know, I would guess three or four. And, you know, the fact that people are just like, don't want to grab it, you know, by the well, what's a good, you know, by the horns? Know. I was gonna, I was gonna say the horns, but I, since we're talking about a subway, you know, oh, yes, let's say, yes. you know, Controls. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, by the, by the, yeah, don't ride the doors, don't ride, yeah, don't, don't ride on the train. Um, you know, they need to, they need to sort of take it by the horns. We'll, we'll use that because I can't mm -hmm. think of a good one, and, and you know, make things happen more quickly rather than slowing things down. And I think that's the thing you see with phase one of the second half of subway. You know, the construction timeline is about ten years. Um, which is, you know, very long. And when we compared certain elements of construction in New York to what we found abroad, we saw that when they built the launch box for the tunnel boring machine, so that you have to, in order to get a tunnel boring machine into the ground, and tunnel boring machine is gigantic, by the way, um, you need to cut a big hole in your street to get it down there. And so they cut one of these spanning between 92nd Street and 95th or 96th Street. Um, so, right, it's four blocks. It's like 800 feet. Um, it took three years to dig this hole. And when you look in Istanbul, you look in, in Italy, you look in Spain, they can do it in, you know, a year or six months, right? They can do it much quicker. And so we are doing things much more slowly. And then you bring in that labor piece where our labor is also much more expensive. And you have an interaction where you start to understand, okay, this is why something costs 
eight times more, 10 times more, because you have exponentially more expensive labor and exponentially longer timelines. Um, and, and those things do not interact well if you're trying to contain costs. So I, I know I spent a lot of time on that. The other, the other sort of things we focus on are also procurement and risk. And what I mean by that is um, sort of the, the way we manage these projects, the way we bid out our contracts. And you know, what the MTA itself is capable of doing and then what it has to hire consultants to do. And then the last thing we talk about in the case, in that case, in this case study is just design in general. And what we found is the stations for phase one of the second subway. First of all, they're like, it's like three quarters of the hard costs of the project. Um, so that represents a big chunk of it, but they're also from a you know, sort of descriptive point of view, they're much larger than what we find in other parts of the world. Um, and a lot of that space is not space that passengers ever even see or know exist, which I, I, I thought was fascinating. There's this whole realm underground called back of house space, which is for, um, you know, MTA, New York City Transit employees who are, you know, signal maintainers, you know, train operators, people who obviously need some space. Um, but the spaces we're talking about are like, twice as big as the space for passengers. Um, and a lot of that space is not well used. Um, which yep. the space for passengers is, 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 is also very large. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah exactly. It's right. Like, yeah. Everything is of a magnitude that is, I mean, looking at the details here is almost, it's almost unthinkable that all of this was allowed to, to go forward like this. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I, so, you know, and, you know, I, you didn't ask the question, but the reason why it was allowed to go forward in a lot of ways is, you know, there were some basic design principles or things that they wanted to achieve with this project that, you know, I think with some hindsight, maybe you would say, okay, like, it's not a bad idea. And I'm going to explain in a second, but maybe it's just, it's too expensive to do it this way. And so one of those things is, you know, the traditional, you know, you think of Astor Place or, you know, I don't know, 116th Street um, and Broadway, uh, some of these original early stations, um, they are, you know, within 20 feet of the surface. They have, you know, those, col they have columns. Um, they are not bright and sort of capacious spaces where you can see from one end to the other without, you know, you know, interruption. Um, and so what they said is they wanted to do column free, big open spaces. And so you have these, these massive vaults and um, I, I'm not an engineer or a mathematician, but Alan, my colleague does have a PhD in math. And once you get into the, the math of arches, there's a ratio between, you know, the width and height. And uh, so the wider you make something, you know, the much taller it has to be in order to be self-supporting and so you just have these massive sort of like i guess they're sort of like oval ovoids um for these caverns and uh it's really expensive to blast out manhattan schist and and build those caverns right it's not an inexpensive uh thing it's not an inexpensive proposition is is there a way to order some of the, um, you know, you're getting at some of the big categories of the reasons for this second Avenue subway and, and, and other projects in New York, uh, these mega infrastructure projects that have been so, um, over budget and so costly. And even if they're budgeted at the right amount, they're, they're yes. extremely costly, right? You know, yeah, that's, I, mean, I, I want to interrupt you on that point because yeah, that's a big, a big thing that, that we want to emphasize is that 
the the starting costs are oftentimes just crazy. Like it's Second right, Avenue. Forget even going over budget. What's yeah. the right size of the budget to begin with? And what yes, are the, the, exactly. the mechanisms to control like, the costs. Right. East side access is going to go down as yes, a, a disaster that, you know, six times over budget, whatever. Fine. Okay. Second Avenue subway, you look at the, you know, in fairness again to them, Jay, like they did a rebaselining once they got all their money and everything. And I think they called it, you know, it was going to be 4.3 billion. And right now the cost looks like it was 4.6 billion. Like, okay, fine. They went over $300 million, which in absolute terms is a big number, but you know, it's less than 10%. It doesn't seem like it's the end of the world, but was it reasonable to even have a $4 billion budget to begin with? And, you know, we would say no. Mm -hmm. Uh, Exactly. Fair. So, are there are there ways to sort of um, order some of these big causes of the yes. massively inflated costs? So so forget going over budget. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of the right sizing of budgets comparatively to other places in the world, there are um, a variety of reasons that you point to. You've discussed a number of them in in the big categories. Put put these in order a bit for us. Yeah. Is there is there a way to sort of say? here's the biggest, you know, here's the biggest couple of fish that yes. should really be. So in, we, we, so as, as you noted, we put out our final report, which is basically just all of our case studies with like an introduction, executive summary type thing. And in there, we, we do exactly that. We rank and we give recommendations and, and so on and so forth. And sort of the first thing that we find is one of like essentially governance politics being the, the main driver of this is that you need leaders who say this is important we're going to try to like focus on cost schedule and budget and i'm going to give it over to my bureaucrats and they're the civil service they're going to figure this out but i'm going to support them right like if it happens so happens that the people on 72nd street don't like that there's going to be construction on a thursday at 7 p.m or they don't like that i'm going to need to close a lane of traffic i'm going to say people of 72nd street and second Avenue, this is, you know, a really important project. We're spending a lot of money. We need to move this thing along. And the faster we do that, uh, you know, the cheaper it will be and the, you know, less nuisance it will cause. But that also means for a short period of time, you have to experience some of that nuisance. And what you end up having is there is again, another design decision that was made. How do you minimize surface disruption, right? Now, then I, I don't know tons of that you, but I, I do know that you're a New Yorker as well. And I do know that you're in New York during the construction of phase one of Second Avenue. So I don't know if you ever went up to Second Avenue. I mean, I don't, you don't strike me as an Upper East Side guy. Um, although I did once see you in Stuyvesant Town doing an interview with Keith Powers, but okay. that, that's a different <laughs> issue. Um, and uh, honestly, yeah. It's it was disruptive. Like it still was oh, disruptive. Sure. Exactly. And yeah. the point is, is like, would you rather have disrupt, you know, sort of a dull disruption for 10 years or sort of a more violent disruption for three years? Um, and violent is too strong of a word and dull is too 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 sort of soft of a word. Um, but I think, you know, understanding those trade-offs is something that politicians are exceptionally bad at. Um, they sort of get a phone call to their office and they're just like, this this has to stop immediately. And you know, Carolyn Maloney, who, you know, the former congressperson who's a great champion of Second Avenue, was also a great, you know, thorn in the side of the MTA about noise, dust, you know, all these things. Um, it's not to say that it should have been sort of 
a war zone or anything like that, or even what it was like building the subway a hundred years ago. But there has to be sort of a happy balance in in other parts of the world. They yeah, they shut down streets when they're doing construction. Like Second Avenue, they have to maintain four lanes of traffic on Second Avenue while blowing everything up, digging all these holes. Um, like just get to move. It's just you're you're breaking down processes into many more steps when if you could just do it once that would be much better um I ho- hopefully that was somewhat clear mm-hmm. um and i think the mt and look the mta they totally get that but they also can't force dot they can't force you know carolyn maloney they can't force anyone to do anything um other than themselves, maybe, and even that is is hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are they there are all these restrictions that are placed upon them, and then they have to make it work within those parameters. And I think that is extremely difficult. Um, and, and and you're saying overarching that is is the question of political leadership. Exactly. Thank you for bringing it back to the number one thing. Is that yes. Mm-hmm. And and in the case now, this is you know this is bringing in all sorts of your you know your background studying all these things. But is 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 there a fundamental flaw in the nature of the MTA, which of course was designed to remove responsibility from individual yep. elected officials? We know that it is you know a state authority. The governor is mostly responsible for the MTA, but it's really not that simple. Obviously, of but, course. Um, this this is essentially needs to be the governor and the mayor taking that political leadership and then bringing in other other elected officials or how do you see it yeah so i think one of the things that is unique to the united states is for whatever the jurisdictional boundaries of transit agencies are just nonsense right like they don't match up with municipalities and they don't match up with states and so we say the mta is a state authority but it's not as if the governor in, you know, obviously with the previous governor, sometimes, yes, he was very involved in MTA affairs, but other times he was like, I don't want to talk about this ever. And don't tell me what's going on in second Avenue. And um, I've done research on projects, you know, well, Seattle, I've been doing a lot of work and sort of same thing, but it's not the governor's not involved at all. Um, as far as I know. And then I was looking at a project in North Carolina where go triangle rally Durham area. It's a, you know, state authority or whatever. And, you know, they can't get Duke to agree to anything. And the governor is not coming in and saying, Duke, let's get this done. You know, this is, you know, a multi-billion dollar project. We're going to get, I think it was a billion and a half dollars from the federal government if we figured this out. Um, And so I think, you know, there, there is a big part of the problem is that, you know, who controls what, you know, the famous, you know, Cuomo's MTA debate, or, you know, going back to you know, some of the ideas Corey Johnson had about bringing the MTA back into the, the fold of the city, um, that would clarify some of those types of issues, I think, right? It'd be very clear that the mayor has to figure this out. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about this at all in the case study, but if you look at the seven extension, um, the city paid for it and the city donated the land, right? It didn't charge for X, Y, and Z, which is the thing we get into in the case study. But the missed opportunity there, I think, is that the city did not say to the MTA, you got to cut the crap on all this back of house space at this Hudson Yard station. Because that station is just, I mean, it's massive if anyone's been there. Um, and it was, you know, sized for an Olympic, an Olympics that never happened or a jet stadium that never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I should cut them some Has, slack. Haven't happened yet. Right. Um, 
Yeah, it's, right. So, I, I mean, political leadership, see, it, I think a lot of the discussions that I have on this show, of course. And, yeah. uh, you know, that we write about at Gotham Gazette and that you study and teach about, you know, political leadership, it, it comes back to that so, so often. Um, it's a very unsatisfying answer, I have to say. It, it really is, although in some ways it's... it's Yes, exactly. Yes. Of, ...of accountability and... Yep. Uh, and maybe and something actually can get done elections and yeah that that too um but your point you know is also obviously directly related to the political leadership of the question of um uh, sort of short term you know more short term pain for for long term gain than trying to appease everybody and you know letting things take a lot longer there also seems to be an issue here and and tell me what you think of this and and how this um came into your your work here but there also seems to be an issue with the MTA uh the MTA money the capital plan yep and the fact that in some ways you know this this is not really coming out of uh, the state budget that the, mm-hmm. the legislature negotiate. Mm-hmm. It's not really, you know, coming out of the city budget that the mayor and the city council negotiate. Yep. And you have um, oh, almost, you know, funny money in, in a yes. way that, that uh, elected officials and appointed officials are playing with here yep. that in part leads to all of the uh, so much of these inflated costs that you get at in your work related to um, the consultancies Mm -hmm. and the hiring hundreds more people for work than are needed and um, the lack of oversight of these projects. And you get contractors who then just, you know, keep adding to their bill and then they are hiring their subcontractors and stuff that, I don't know. I mean, with with closer eyes from, you know, certain prosecutors or something probably should be should be looked at in some way, shape or form. Um, but anyway, um, say no, a but, but bit your, about, your point about, about the funny money is, is is perfect. Right. So I think there are a lot of things going on. So the, the first thing I'm going to say is, you know, going back to the Pataki years and I'm going to get it wrong, I'm sure. But I think it's the 2000 capital plan. He's like. Debt, baby, we're not giving you any money. And I don't know if anyone read Phil Plotch's book on the second enemy subway, but he used the term that instead of being, uh, you know, you know, Republicans always criticize Democrats as being tax and spend liberals. He was, uh, oh, man, I, something in borrow Republican. I, I forget. Um, what would, you know, cut taxes and borrow Republican. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Some, some funny witty phrase yeah. and you know, yeah, the, the, the state contributed $0 to, you know, the capital program. And I think, you know, the funny money to the state legislators and the governors and whatever is not so funny to the MTA when they have to pay their debt service out of their operating budget. And um, I which think you know, that comes back to the, which as and so the, and play out right now comes back to the. Exactly. Voice. And yeah, but, but, the, but the, the, the really important next leap is, okay, so now my operating budget is totally hamstrung by my debt servicing, which is like 25, 20% of, of my operating budget, which means I need to cut my operating budget, which means I need to fire staff. And which means when I do my capital plan, I'm going to get this funny money, money from the federal, funny uh, money from the federal government, and I'm going to lard up my capital budget with actual operating costs that I would normally have on the operating side, right? So my planners, my designers, who I 
could have had and did have in the 90s. If you look at New York City Transit had a group called CPM, Capital Program Management, 1,600 staff members um, starting, you know, I think it's formed in the 80s. And um, they performed 60% of the design work and 95% of the construction management work for capital related projects for New York City Transit. And then that, that group sort of dies out for a whole host of reasons. And then it's replaced by MTA Capital Construction and then MTA C&D. And they have 120 staffers, right? So it's a gigantic diminution of in-house capacity and expertise that sort of, you know, can shepherd these projects through to completion. And this is a really important point that you found, again, in contrast to other places in the yes, world, right? Absolutely, yeah. In-house capacity, although it can, as you just say, uh, said, it can increase your annual operating costs, it can save you much more money in your capital yes. projects. Say a little right. bit about that. Absolutely. So, well, so, I, and just to respond quickly to, as you said it to me, you know, the immediate counter to that is, okay, there are a lot of long-term liabilities associated with those operating costs, right? You need to pay pensions and, you know, all the benefits that, mm. you know, these public sector workers and their Lamborghinis or whatever. Um, uh, that was a joke. Uh, they don't have Lamborghinis. But um, the idea is that, you know, if you can sort of get your way out of that and then just take on the one-shot costs of the consultants that you know, they're going to disappear after the project's over. And it's not, you know, it's not something you have to deal with and manage in, you know, up times and down times. You know, when there was, uh, you know, 2008, nine, the Great Recession, MTA had to cut a lot of stuff, right? But if you don't have to fire a lot, you know, you've already cut to the bone your capital construction team, then you don't really need to, to worry about that stuff. Um, and I think it makes for some greater predictability. I think there is like some bizarro accounting logic that sort of makes sense of all of this. But I think when you look at sort of the long-term cost of all this stuff, it would make more sense to just give the MTA more money to have, you know, to staff up appropriately. And the other side of it is, if the real issue is, you know, dealing with civil service restrictions and it's too hard to fire people, you know, whatever, move people around, then like we should address that rather than taking on extra billions of dollars to get around this, you know, uncomfortable discussion about, you know, what's an appropriate pension, what's an appropriate, you know, job safety, uh, job security uh, standard, mm-hmm. which, you know, not popular with elected officials, I get. Right. You know, Governor Cuomo, who obviously did uh, debatable uh, types of work and amount of work to get the phase one of the second interview subway to completion, celebrated in a big way, Mm -hmm. um, but but had this very, as you pointed out, sort of checkered and in and out relationship with the MTA and finally took charge of it while claiming that he hadn't really been in charge of it. Right. was talking about a lot of this stuff at one point, right? He was Mm -hmm. talking about the consultant industrial complex related to the MTA and a lot of this, a lot of this stuff and was sort of sniffing around in some of the right places and saying some of the right things, um, you know, that your research and, uh, you know, reported exposés like the times is a big piece by Brian Rosenthal in uh, late 2017 got at and, and others have, you know, have got at at different points. Um, uh, and, and, you know, started sort of sniffing around some of these things. 
didn't didn't really get a lot done yeah. as far as I can tell. I don't know if you have a different thought on no, that. No, no, no. Uh, MTA um, transformation is not transformational. But right, yeah. But um there's new leadership, obviously, at the gubernatorial level. Yeah. There's new leadership at the MTA. Um, yes. Part of the MTA response to your case study of the of the first mm. phase of the Second Avenue subway is sort of like, I don't know why they're looking at this thing that was, you know, sure. decades in the making. Sure. And we've got new leadership now, whatever. And sure. obviously, <laughs> when you're doing major scholarly work, you have to, you know, you you mostly have to look in the past to really be able to to evaluate. They that. haven't built phase two yet. Can't look ahead. Exactly. Right. So, um, but point being, as we get at some of these things and we don't have a lot more time sure. here to talk, um, what are some of the recommendations, some of the lessons for going forward? The MTA is in, uh, you know, precarious budget situation. Yeah especially related to the operating budget that we're getting at a little bit about where some of these things then come back to, to them uh, needing to talk about uh, debt service and so forth yeah. as part of the the operating budget. But um, the details of the capital plan to be debated, these capital plans are, you know, almost not worth the money that they're, they're written on, right. The, or the paper that they're written on because they, they take so much longer than they're outlined and they, yeah. you know, there's all these issues. Yes, they, they bleed into the next one. Yeah. This wish list, things are very funky. But point being, as the major projects are funded, as they're debated, as the governor wants to get this Interborough Express uh, built, as they look to the next phase of the of the Second Avenue subway, so on and so forth, what are a few of the key recommendations here from your report that they should really, uh, in your opinion, take you know take into real consideration here? Yeah, so a couple of things. Well, one, you know, I I am personally, you know, an enormous fan of the MTA. I um I like a lot of the stuff that Jana Lieber is doing. Um I like that he and Kathy Hochul, I don't know at all, but they seem to have like a good rapport. And I think that is obviously a really good and important thing. And I think instability at the top of the MTA is like a lot of the story as well. Like uh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong again, but I think, you know, the average CEO has lasted like a year and a half, you know, in the last, you know, 10 years or 15 years, something like that. Um, I don't agree with like all of the stuff that they're doing. Um but I think a, a really big part of what they do is they need to really do their homework in advance, right? So a lot of the stuff that you saw with phase one of the second Avenue subway is when they opened up that launch box, which is like the first real construction you do, they had like a lot of issues with the building foundations there. Um, you know, they're old buildings, but like, you know, they've been doing preparatory work for this project since, you know, the 90s. Like, they shouldn't have been a, a huge surprise. And so, you know, for phase two, they're doing an advanced utility contract for us. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think for IBX, for instance, in their feasibility study, they talk about replacing, I think, you know, 46 overpasses. That's That strikes me as a big red flag. Um, mm. But, you know, the thing is that might be, you know, in order to get DOT or someone to sign off on something, that's what they have to do. And so what I would say is I think you need to have an engaged elected official at, you know, not micromanaging the way an Andrew Cuomo would, but maybe Kathy Hochul can macromanage and say, this is important. Let's get this done. I personally do not know how to do it. And I'm not going to go tell, you know, someone installing an escalator how to do their job, but I will get all of the obstacles that I can get out of the way. And so if you look at the transactions that are 
affecting phase two right now is like the city has been selling parking lots, I think, you know, in millions of dollars to to the MTA. Eric Adams is complaining about he doesn't want to give $500 million um, to the MTA. Okay, maybe we can do some in-kind contributions as a start, you know, just give the land that the MTA needs, give them the space, you know, you know, alienate some parkland so they can put up some construction materials, you know, or a playground, whatever it is. Um, like, let's make the job easier you know, when a city agency starts to like gum up the works and slow things down, you know, get involved, like bang ahead, make a phone call, you know, whatever the right sort of dynamic is, um, you know, our personal, our, you know, our group's take on, you know, procurement, which is not exactly what you're talking about, but is a, a big shift at the MTAs. They want to go design, build, and we're more, we think design bid build is better because it allows the agency to uh, break up the contracts into smaller bits and have better oversight over what's going on. A design build contract, you essentially give over the, des the design work and the construction work to one big contractor. And um, it means that you're locked in. And if things go wrong, it's like you you know, you come with the one you, 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 you dance with the one you came with, so to speak. And you, it's very hard to sort of switch course. And I think some of the challenges we've seen on the bridge projects, um, sort of speak to speak to some of those shortcomings with, with that procurement style. Um, but I, but I think the main Can I thing, just say quickly, oh, yeah. design build is like the number one thing that Jano Lieber points to. Yes. No, I know. I know. I know. Changes I know. have been made yes. over the last several years. Yes. Yeah, I don't agree. With, I, that I don't agree with. I don't agree with that. Um, and I, 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 when I interviewed him last year in 2022, yes, I said, "Big New York Times expose at the end of 2017 looks at yes. all of these excess costs, all of these questionable decisions, lack of oversight, all of these issues. What has been done at the MTA since then to to get yes. any of this under control?" And the only thing he named, I mean, he scoffed about the no. Yes, the only no. thing he named was design build. Yeah. So my my. I'm not feeling, saying he's right. No, I'm no. Out two he's, things. One, you guys disagree, but two, right. that even in the face of all of that reporting yes. and a lot of this stuff that's out there that you- but That was that was all design, bid, build, right? So it's a baby with the bathwater situation where it's like design, bid, build doesn't work all the time. The issue is who is managing these projects, right? Like that's what determines success. It doesn't matter if you have the best process in the world, if- you know, someone is understaffed, incompetent, whatever, you know, managing that process, right? Like you have a podcast. I don't know anything about recording. I don't know anything about editing. I would do a much worse job than you would, even though I we, we could use the same microphones, the same software, the same everything, we would get different results. Um, I think with design build, what the MTA likes about it is that there are fewer interfaces between the agency and the contractors. And I think they see that as a, an area of friction, which it absolutely is. Jano is 100% right that managing those, those, those interfaces is a, a big challenge. But the answer to that, from my perspective and from the research that we've done, and when you look at other places that deliver these projects, you know, on time, on budget, and affordably, they beef up their construction management and they, you know, standardize their processes and they standardize their designs and they tell the, the consultants what's to, what to do. They deal with change orders, you know, not instantaneously, but very quickly. Um, and, and, and they make working for the agency not a nightmare. And you talk to contractors, and this is not like a secret we talk about in our case, but many have talked about it, is that contractors add, you know, 15, 20% on top of their bids because of the administrative burden of dealing with the MTA. Right? Like they send you 
800 page contracts. You have to like you keep very you know good paperwork, which like obviously you should keep some good paperwork. Um, but there's a lot of uh, administrative burden where you have to hire more people. You have to jump through more hoops. There's, there's liability. Sure, questions. there's liability. Absolutely. Let so me just, all those let things. Me just, yeah. Let me just pause this to just say, and we only have a few more minutes here of course. Um, because I want to let you let you go, although I could keep going for a while. Um, each of the things you just listed off so quickly are bil- like billions of dollars. Yes, <laughs> right? that's right. You know, the, the, the things that you're saying that sort of sound like just these quick things on a list that are yes. common sense, standardized design, you know, you get at in the report that, that these these immense stations and all this, you know, back, uh, house, back of house room, space, yeah. uh, space and and different escalators in different parts of the station. Yes. And you see those breaking down and all of these things. I mean. They're very big pieces. Uh, yeah, uh, all those things are tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. Um, right. Like right, right, I exaggerated. No, 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 well, no. But you, you add them up. It, it is. Yeah. You're right. I mean, uh, but I think the procurement piece, which is like the fuzziest and hardest to understand, is is one where you are, you know, you're because of the low productivity and because of the rigmarole and the delays and all the stuff. You are just loading on waste total waste that does not need to be spent um if and you could don't seem to really care right exactly and that, right again, and that goes to oversight and the levels yes. of, of accountability that go back up to the actual politics and it's the funny money right like you get the federal government for phase two of secondary subway they're probably going to kick in two to three billion dollars right so boom right there you got a cushion where you know i mean like you care of course but you know it's not doesn't mean you know that we have to cut the budget for you know schools um in new york right. city or no, something I, like that I, I, and like I was that's, say that's that the thing like the budget of new york city is hundreds of a hundred billion dollars the state's 250 billion dollars governor and mayor you can kick in some money here on the operations like uh, you know there's a stat from you know at the height of the depression in you know the 1920s i think the city of new york paid like $300 million, you know, into building subways and stuff like that. Like not inflation adjusted dollars, by the way, like the, the city used to, you know, really spend money on all this stuff. Um, and now it's gotten better over time since like what I talked about with the Pataki era, um, you know, Bloomberg obviously put up some money, but yeah, mayors are are loath to do so, right. They're, are, they're so accustomed to building their budgets you know, with razor thin margins and are not like, okay, well now I can explode this thing to give the MTA a bunch of money. Um, and so it just, I think, you know, how you recalibrate the mind around that is, you know, you need maybe some hypnosis or something. I don't know. Um, that that's a a very big ask. And I think you, you need elect, you need mayors who really understand, okay, this is important to the livelihood of our city. This allows us to grow the number of jobs, the tax base population. If we don't invest in this stuff, you know, we can't expand. Um, and all of these things are things that both governor Hochul and mayor Adams talk about all the time. Right. Of course. So, you know, proof, proof will be in the pudding here moving forward in terms of how real they are about them in all sorts of ways, including, including on this and Jano Lieber as well, leading the MTA, you know, is talking about how things are, are being run differently. Um, again, I don't know that that he has all the specifics to to back up that claim beyond the design build that he notes and some of the recent project completions that he's pointed to um, 
that again, he, you know, mm-hmm. that have come in under budget, but again, we're also questioning those original budget numbers uh, here in your report and, and in this discussion. So and they're also like third, third rail, third track, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's different from building phase sure, two, sure, the second subway. Sure. They're not really similar. Sure. Um, uh, th- 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 and MT loves to criticize me for not doing apples to apples comparisons, but so then I would say, you know, go do your own apples to apples comparison yeah. of that stuff. You know, as we're speaking and, and in advance of this conversation, you know, I was looking back at the MTA's 2025 to 2044 20 year needs mm-hmm. assessment, yes. which is this, you know, fascinating document yes. and combines a lot of different things. And they're doing a really good job, I would, I, I want to say, on that compared to previous attempts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be the consensus on that. Yep. That's on absolutely expertise. But um, but one of the interesting things to look at again in light of this conversation is the capital planning, and they have this list. You know, this really fascinating, exciting yes. list. Yeah. You Very excited. Optimistic about potential yeah. expansion and enhancement projects to be evaluated. And again, what we're getting at in this discussion is if you want to do more of those exciting projects, you have to figure out how to bring these, you know, bring these uh, costs down and and run these projects better and and complete them. Um, All right. In our last two minutes here, anything we haven't gotten to, uh, you know, we, we, this has been a a great discussion, but anything uh, from your work on the transit cost project from the New York case study that we haven't mentioned um, is, is there something related to, well, you were about to answer, so I want. You know, I, I say the, the the other you know one of the big things that we emphasize is, you know, building subways is not something that hasn't been done before, right? Like we did it a hundred something years ago, and other places did it, you know, around that long ago as well. But other places are doing it currently, right? And some places are doing it, you know, like in Istanbul, they've built out, uh, you know, several hundred kilometers since 1990, I think. Um, you know, the, in South Korea, they're building a ton. In, in Madrid, they're building a ton. Um, you know, as I mentioned, that project in, in Paris, Grand Paris Express, you know, there are things that we can learn from from what they're doing. And, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, doing that advanced homework, making sure you assemble your money, you know, early on, right? I think, you know, the MTA, again, since it's these are such big sums, it's like, okay, we can get this much now, but then we're going to have to wait until the federal government kicks in the rest and until we get this Transportation Bond Act passed. You know, it's like, it's all these moving parts that just slow everything down. And I think we really want to focus on schedule. If I were leading phase two of the second Avenue subway, I would, you know, they haven't bid out any of the contracts yet, but I would go to my contract and say, okay, let's assume we said it's going to take 60 months to do something. How do I do it in 30 months? Is it possible? If I could do it in 30 months, what would I have to do to make it happen? And they're not going to tell you spend a bunch more money. They're going to say, let us work on the nights, on the weekends. Let us truck out the muck after 8 p.m. Let us, you know, shut down a street. They're not going to tell you, you know, they're going to say, speed up your process approving X, Y, and Z. They're not going to tell you, give us more money and hire more labor. That's not what they're going to tell you. And I think that that is really powerful. And if, you know, the MTA can then take that to a Hochul and Adams, you know, an Adonis Rodriguez at DOT and say, look, we can save a year here, a billion dollars there. If we just make these policy choices, you know, we could get this project done and it's going to be a huge success. We're all going to look great. We'll all still be alive by the time it's done. Um, and uh, I, I, that, that's what I would do. Um, and, you know, I'm not in charge. I'm not going to be in charge, um, but I am going to, from the sidelines, try to continue doing that. 
All right. Well, I think that's a good spot uh, to to leave it. Uh, a few things on my list here I didn't get to ask you about, but that's all right. Always the case. Uh, Eric Goldwyn is one of the authors of the Transit Costs Project that just issued its final report after several years of work comparing costs of rapid transit projects in places around the world. And that conclusion also included the new release of its New York case study. The website is transitcosts.com. Uh, Eric Goldman is a program is the program director at the Marin Institute of Urban Management and an assistant professor in the transportation and land use program at the NYU Marin Institute. Thank you for all the time and the thoughts. Appreciate it. I uh, hope people will take a closer look at all the uh, details in the report. We touched on a, a bunch of headlines here, but there's there's a lot to sink your teeth into if you're so inclined. But uh, Eric, thanks a lot for all the time. Thank you. Thank you.